and his heart. But two, if guys like me were listed next to guys like Jerry Banger and Winston Parker, and I'd have like one guy sitting here. So you guys, I'm sorry, drew the drew the short straw. Um, guys, uh, Winston finished with uh, what I think was just a, the perfect opening for us, which he said, discipleship is is for you. We need it. And I don't know that there's anything more true than that. We need discipleship. The other guy does us a benefit by allowing us to interact with him. Isaiah 55, uh, 55, 11, God says, So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth and will not return to me empty or void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I set it. So God's going to do his work regardless. His word is going to go forth. He is going to build his church. Um, we can contribute nothing to the work of God. But he does give us the privilege of being able to participate. And there's a difference between contributing and participating. If I think that I contribute, then I think that I can uh, <clears throat> mess up my contribution as well. Um, but God's going to do what he's going to do in his sovereignty in a man's life. I just get um, the benefit of uh, coming along for the ride and for the participating. The reason, uh, so I'm probably going to bounce around here. This is a workshop, so interact and, and we'll, we'll just kick some stuff around. But um, the, the reason I think discipleship, if I had to look back on my life and list the, the, the main things that have helped me um, grow, uh, discipleship, discipling men would be uh, in the top three. I mean, it would be up there, and it's helpful because I don't presume I can tell you guys anything you don't already know, but if you want to really know and learn something, you need to teach it, right? Like, if you want to know something, teach it. So, discipling another man, another man will push us into um, arenas that we've not gone before. Uh, the second thing is that Maybe it's just me, but I have a battle uh, every day maintaining an eternal focus as I go throughout my day. There's a tug of war between a temporal focus and eternal focus, right? Corinthians in First, in first Corinthians he says, um, um, "While we look not at the things which are seen, the things which are seen are temporal, but we look at the things which are not seen, and those things are eternal, right?" So um, it's a struggle and a battle, right? To go throughout my day in a temporal world while maintaining eternal focus. Um, one of the things that has been of extreme benefit for me and why I think one of the reasons Winston said we need discipleship is for us is because it helps me maintain an eternal perspective throughout my day. If I meet with a guy in the morning or I meet with him at lunch, well, guess what I'm doing? I'm, I'm thinking about the things which are eternal. I'm spending time in a different platform than quiet time in the Word. I'm regurgitating things that, biblical truths that I know, right? 
but I need to be reminded of again and again and again. So, uh, discipleship is uh, is absolutely for us. Guys, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy if you can. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Actually, let me, let, me, let me pray for us, huh? Is that the penalty box? Is that the penalty box that he's got? Looks like your education. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we just thank you for the uh, teaching today, for the men speaking upstairs, uh, for, uh, for your faithfulness to us, Lord. When we just struggle with being faithful, you are always faithful. Lord, we thank you for uh, that the just us as lowly mere men, you give us a slice of the action um, for our good. And Lord, just join us in our time as we talk about discipleship. Um, Lord, let it be edifying and pleasing to you. Amen. All right, Second Timothy two two. Did John talk about this verse when he opened up? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Oh, golly, somebody must have been whispering in my ear. Let's talk about it again. Um, Paul says to Timothy, "The things which you have heard from me in the presence of men, many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." I apologize if I'm regurgitating, but there's four generations there, right? Paul says to Timothy, right? Paul to Timothy, the things which you have heard from me, I want you to entrust to faithful men. But not only that, I want to make sure that there's there's generational growth here. I want you to make sure that you teach these other men to teach others also. Paul, Timothy, other men, other men also. So there's four generations there of uh, discipleship. So that's at the heart, that's a, that's a command that we can take. Um, please also uh, flip with me to Matthew. Matthew, last chapter of Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, speaking to his disciples. And uh, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Men, we, we do well to um, consider that Jesus is not speaking only to those men before he ascends into heaven but he's speaking to all of us believers be in the business of go and of going and making disciples that word the greek word go has the meaning of as you go about so he's saying to us is as we go about our lives be in the business of making disciples when you go to your gym go to your kids soccer practices your neighbors your buddies from high school, wherever, the relationships that God... There is not... Each one of us has a unique combination of relationships that no other man has, right? You and I, you may have access to a man that uh, nobody else does. In fact, you may be, if we're thinking correctly, we, one of us, may be the only representation of Jesus Christ that a man gets to see. And... We need to be um, continually considering these relationships that God has put in our lives. Flip over with me to uh, 2 Corinthians. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. We're going to read verse 20 and then work backwards. Um, he says, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right? So, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's each one of us, right? What does an ambassador do? Does an ambassador communicate his will, his thoughts, his desires? No, he communicates the wills, the thoughts, the desires of his sovereign. Does an ambassador live... If I were to get a call to be an ambassador to England, would I move my family to Washington, D.C. to be an ambassador? No, I would move my family to the political center of the nation in which I'm ambassador. An ambassador always lives in a foreign land, right? So each one of us, as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, should consider having the mindset, should have the mindset that I'm living in a foreign land, it's not my home, and my, my will is to communicate the thoughts the desires, the plans, the truth of my sovereign. So, he says, uh, therefore, in verse 20, whenever I see the word therefore, I always want to, it beckons me to go backwards, right? What is the therefore, therefore? So, he's saying, in light of what's just been said, and what he says in, is in verse 18, he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He says more of the same in verse 19, but he's saying, you've been given the, recon- the ministry of reconciliation, therefore now you're an ambassador of Christ. But in verse 20 and 18, he says, now all these things are from God. Well, what are all these things that he's talking about from God? Let's go back some more. He goes back, and in verse 16, he says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. For me, this, was a, this is a really... Uh, a key verse for me because I have a habitual problem of recognizing men according to the flesh and seeing them through my temporal eyeglasses rather than the spiritual glasses that God tells me to view men through. He says, no longer view men according to the flesh. See them as eternal beings, as men that either need to know Jesus or need to know Jesus better and Having been given the message of reconciliation, consider yourself being an ambassador for Christ as though God may be making, imploring a man through you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I will stop going backwards. We're going to go backwards one more time because he says, therefore. So let's go backward. Let's go back one more time. Why are we to recognize no man according to the flesh? I think he tells us in verse 14 and 15. In verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. So I suggest to you, that's, that's the first reason. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And then in verse 15, he gives us a second reason. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Because the love of Christ controls us, and because he died for us, and we no longer live for ourselves. So one of the methods in which Jesus tells us, if you want to, in, uh, in Luke, uh, Luke 9, 28, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, right? So our 
our walk as a Christian is uh, is a life of self-denial, right? Christianity is the only religion, right, that says that bids you to come and die. So, if I'm supposed to deny myself, right, it says go. It goes on in Luke nine to say, um, whoever wants to save his life uh, will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. And I would suggest to you as we tie all these together, us being involved in discipleship, in investing our lives into other men, is one of the ways in which we deny ourselves and we die to ourselves. So, uh, discipleship. Any thoughts, comments, or questions before we move on? Guys, turn with me to another verse, Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11 says, um, <clears throat> I'm going to read 11 and 12. It says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. So he gave some as, God gave, appointed some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right? Well, let's see why he did that. It tells us in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. So, men, in verse 12, who would you suggest to me are the saints? We are. We are, right? As followers of Jesus Christ, each one of us is a saint. So, what is the saint supposed to do? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service. If you look at that in the King James Version, it actually says, for the work of the ministry. And I think the King James also says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, what I would suggest to you is he's saying he gave some as pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets. Why? For the equipping of rascals like you and me so that what do we, what do we that as saints do? We go out and do what? Equip others. Equip others. We go out and do the work of the ministry. We evangelize the lost and edify the saved. So often um, we can look at the responsibility of E-squared, of evangelism and edification, as the institutional church's responsibility, right? The institutional church is a our, my community is a pond and uh, my city, and the institutional church is a rock that gets thrown into the pond, and that, pond, that rock boulder makes ripples, right? It has influence and impact over the community and individuals and people, right? But in reality, what I would suggest these verses are suggesting to us is that if we as saints are supposed to be involved in the work of the ministry, it's as if God, each one of us is a pebble, and it's as if God has scooped up pebbles off the shore of that pond and has cast them out onto the the area of our city, of our geographic location, right? And each one of us who has different relationships, different access to men, different influence and in different aspects of our lives, each one of those rocks, which represents us, little pebbles, fall onto the, the pond, and the pond is, is, is filled with a terrific amount of activity, right? Each little rock 
having its own little concentric, concentric circle, right? And bumping up against each other. And the whole pond, or the whole city, or the whole geographic region is filled with activity of evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved, and dis- which is discipleship, not because of leaving it up to the vocational Christian worker, but because they equip us to go and be in the business of evangelizing and discipling and building into the lives of other men. So often, want to just and like it's 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 easier, right, for me to just say, well, I want to go and just uh, I'll just go work in my marketplace and do my deal, and then I'll I'll give some money to the church, and then it's the church's responsibility. I, that's that's what I'm called. I'm going to make some money, give it to the church, and then the church gets to go do it. Guys, it's that that's missing the point. One, that's not dying to ourselves. That's not self denial. In addition to that. Um, remember, we're the ones that need discipleship. We're the ones that benefit from investing our lives into another man. Colossians one twenty eight. Um, somebody turn to that and read that for us. What is discipleship? This is discipleship. This is wished uh, close with this verse as well. Once somebody gets there, why don't they read that? One twenty eight. Please. We proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with a wisdom so that we may present every person completing Christ. Absolutely. And remember, men, he's talking to us there. Paul's not writing his letters to a pastor's conference or a vocational Christian workers' conference. He's writing his letter there and his letter in Ephesians to the body of believers in a city. He says, you saints are being equipped to go do the work of the ministry. So, what is discipleship? Who can do discipleship? Man, I would suggest to you that um, discipleship is uh, is like a speedboat. And I'll get to how it's like a speedboat. First, let's suggest that the um, the institutional church, which... Each of our geographic regions has many institutional church. is like a um, is like an aircraft carrier. Um, it's big. It's uh, it has a lot of different things that it it does. There's a lot of people involved to keep the aircraft carrier moving. It has a wonderful purpose and meets the many needs of the military and what it's supposed to do. But if that aircraft carrier needs to turn and go in a specific direction quickly, is that going to happen very quickly? It can be very difficult to move an entire aircraft carrier in an agile way. Serves its purpose, edifies, disciples, blesses, helps grow you know, in a, in a mighty way. Then let's look at a small group. We probably, maybe all of us are involved in like a small cell group or whatever. Those also... Um, that's like a, like, a, you know, let's say you were going, I'm trying to think, I don't even know what's around here. Like a little cruise ship, right? Cruise ship is going to hold like 20 or 30 people. That is a little bit more agile, right? It can, it can more quickly move in different directions based upon what the needs of the 20 or 30 people are. But it still is, is um, bigger than a speedboat. 
And I would suggest to you, discipling a man one-on-one is like you and I being in a speedboat. It's me and him, and we can go anywhere that he wants to go. If he has a question, we go right there. It's different. Someone asked, uh, and I think uh, asked about discipling men in a group or one-on-one, and that is an application um, answer. Uh, What's that? Well, yeah, okay, yeah. So, and it is an application question. And I think Winston, I was like, man, Winston, like in like two minutes and wrapping up your your talk, like, you like absorb half of my points for the workshop, but that's fine. But one of his answers was uh, a man on a one on one relationship, and this is dealer's choice because I've been involved with small groups of men that have served their purpose. I've been. But primarily, I'll do, I'll try to peel a guy off one on one, because just like Winston said, a guy's going to be more transparent with you, just you, than he would in a group setting. We guys are insecure, and I don't want to look like I answer, ask a stupid question. I don't want to maybe push something over across the table that's going on in my life if I have three or four different guys that are going to, you know, know all my junk. So. Discipling a guy one-on-one um, provides the agility of a speedboat that we can go anywhere that he wants to go based upon where he is spiritually and where where God is obviously um, leading him. So there is great, great value in that one-on-one relationship. Obviously, we all get fed and, and men grow in many different environments, you know, whether it's a a smaller group, whether it's a bigger Bible study group, whether it's you know his church that he goes to, we get edified and grow in many many different ways. But the one-on-one um, discipleship is uh, is just tremendously impactful to uh, to the guy that God uses uses, but also. Um, Again, to me, because I need discipleship. I need to be sitting across from that guy. And I get the benefit day in and day out from sitting across from men and them asking questions and me having to uh, try to find where to go in the Word. So it pushes me. And if I don't, um, finding out what the answer is to that question. How to disciple man? I um, There's not a man in here who is not... Um, capable of discipling a man one-on-one? Each one of us are. Many guys want to say, I'm not adequate. And that's that's a, a great answer because the truth, are, truth is we aren't. But the scriptures tell us that our adequacy is in Christ. So, um, when I meet with a guy one-on-one, I'll, uh, I tell him that there's, there's two there's only two rules that we have. And one is that um, I'm not going to have any of the answers. I'm not going to have all of the answers. In fact, I may have very few answers. But what I will do is I'll commit that if you have a question um, that I don't know where to go to in the Bible, I'm going to find out where to go. And the next time we come back, um, we're going we're to go together. Like I'm going to look for the answer. And uh, so ask me any question you want. But know that I don't have all the answers. And... Uh, um, but but I'll try to I'll try to find it. I got guys above me that um, that are Pauls in my life, 
that I can go and uh, try to find help to as well. The second thing I tell a guy is that you can quit any time and I can quit any time. So this doesn't have to run into perpetuity. Typically, I, I propose a guy, you want to get together and uh, do like a, a four-week Bible exploration and just see what the God says about who Jesus is, what's the Bible all about, um, what it says about eternal life. And in my mind, I do two things there. And this is, this is all just uh, art more than it is science. One is, um, I call it a Bible exploration and not a Bible study. My, uh, my wife, she stopped having these nightmares, but even probably up until 10 years after we graduated college, she would wake up or wake up in the morning. She said, I had this horrible nightmare that I was in school. I had a paper due and that I didn't start it. And that I, I was just horrible. I woke up and I was like, I got my diploma. I'm not in college and I don't ever have to write a paper again. And I think the word study, I don't know, maybe it's just me, can make guys feel intimidated and like, man, I don't like study. I'm out of school. I don't want to go, you know, study if they're not, you know, really getting after it or they have questions or they just want to uh, stick their toe in the water. So by calling it a Bible exploration, to me, it just sounds a little bit softer. Um, the second thing I'm doing is I tell them it's four weeks. So there's a beginning, middle, and end. Um, it's not going to go into perpetuity. The reality of it is, and I'll show you, I think, uh, you know. So what happens after four weeks? Well, that's, yeah, let me, okay. I'm, I'll answer that next. Great question. These little discipleship uh, book series, there's other stuff that you can use um, if you find it more useful. I've not found anything better than this. It, uh, it goes verse, question, verse, question, verse, question. The first book actually has all of the um, the passages written in the book, so a guy doesn't even have to have a Bible or know how to navigate through the Bible. It's all in here. And it just simply has a verse that you read together and you answer the question. Um, the reality of it is, I don't know that I've ever gotten through this book, because there's four chapters. Um, who is Jesus? Is the Bible credible, the work of Christ, and eternal life? I don't know that I've ever gotten through this with a guy in four weeks. Maybe we get through a chapter and a half in four weeks. Maybe we get through two and a half chapters. But at the end of the four weeks, I say, okay, hey, we didn't get through it all, but I know I told you, you know, four weeks, so, um, you know, you can finish the book on your own if you like, but if you want to keep going, you know, I'm I'm fine to keep going too. But know that you can quit any time and I can quit any time. And I'm trying to think. I don't think I ever had a guy that said... Um, Thanks. See you later. You know what I mean? Uh, I have certainly had guys that seem to be on fire and, you know, you meet with them for, you know, 10, 12 weeks and, uh, and then they stand you up a time and then you call them and they go quiet and dark and, and then, you know, you don't hear from them again. But then they may come back around. Um, I had one young man who was, I got referred into, a guy connected us and, I did everything that we had just talked about. You know, uh, you can quit any time, I can quit any time. And then he stands me up of like week three or something. And our times were really rich when we got together. And uh, 
I caught him and he didn't, you know, I'm like, is the guy all right? He's in the hospital or something? Could not get a hold of him. And uh, so I wasn't being overbearing. So I think I called like once a week for two weeks and and maybe in a bit a month. And I called him and he answers the phone. I said, hey, how's it going? I said, I just want to reach out. I want to make sure I didn't drop the ball with our schedule, you know, that I had something wrong and, you know, um, you just tell me what's up if you want to. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm at the beach right now with my family. And uh, he's like, i got to be honest with you. I didn't know we were going to be meeting, like, every week. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, hey, that's totally fine. Like, if you get back, you ever want to strike it back up again, um, you know, let's do it. Go for it. But if not, that's fine, too. But it was funny because everything that he said in the conversation was contradictory to everything that we had talked about in the first session that we had together. So I didn't talk for the guy for two years, and then I get a phone call, and he calls up and says, hey, I don't know if you want, you know, you want to get together. And, and uh, we got together, and his his um, his marriage was in a difficult position, and he had some stuff going on in his life, and, and we started right up where we picked off and started about, you know, dealing with what he was going through. And, and my point is is that um, the ministry can be like a revolving door with guys, you know, coming and going. And... Um, our mindset, that, that Isaiah 55:11 verse has been so helpful to me because I need to be prepared. I need to not be negligent in my preparation for my time with the man. But I need to know, and I know, that God's going to do his work with his word going forth. So we're sitting here talking about the scripture, and it is, it's nothing that I do that is going to... Um, God's going to do all the work in that man's life. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just coming along for the ride. And to me, that was very um, liberating, right? Just to to know that, okay, I, I I am capable to sit and interact with this man on the Bible. Do, do any of you guys here know uh, Mark Ramey? I did. Okay. So Mark Ramey, uh, Matt, is will be wrapping up for us, and he's involved with putting on the treat. And I think Mark's um, Mark's testimony is is just a, a gift to any and all that have heard it. And I'd like to share it in in this topic um, whenever I can. But Mark was uh, Mark is no longer here. He passed with cancer a number of years ago, and uh, he was a Marine in Vietnam. He was um, he was shorter, but I mean, just built like a brick house man I mean, he was just he's a solid guy and uh, as he tells his testimony which he regularly shared he was having uh, problems in his marriage problems in his business and uh, didn't know Christ and there was this other insurance agent he was in the insurance business and he called this guy up and said you know I have, you know, want to see if you would go to lunch with me so he goes out to lunch with this guy and he's like this guy seemed like he's an act together and I didn't feel like I had my act together, so I want to see what this guy was doing. So I'm trying to talk to guys about business, and he's trying to talk to me about spiritual things. <laughs> so he says, uh, you know, he exposes me to the gospel, introduces me to the gospel, and says, uh, Mark, is there, um, you know, they had lunch, whatnot. Mark, is there, you know, would you like to um, pray uh, to receive Christ as your Savior? And he said, I'm a little taken back. I'm in the middle of this, this restaurant. There's people in the restaurant that I know. It's a hot spot, you know, in our community. And I'm like, 
He's like, to be honest with you, Bill, whatever the guy's name is, let's just say, I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable. Can we go outside and finish this conversation? Sure. Take the check. He's like, we parked like on the corner of one of the major intersections in Colorado Springs. And we continue to talk. And uh, I decide at that point to give my life to Christ. So there we are in the corner of this main intersection of Colorado Springs. I was embarrassed in the in the little restaurant, but now we're in the major intersection, bowing our heads, and he's praying to receive Christ. So the guy says to him, uh, he says, Mark, um, I want you to do two things. I want you to tell somebody the decision that you made today. And two, um, give me a time. You and I are going to meet up. Let's meet up like once a week, and we'll start going through and, and introducing you to um, the Word of the Bible. Mark said, great. So they meet for uh, a couple times, two weeks, going through a, a discipleship book series like this. And uh, as Mark says, he was in his office and one of his agents came in. This is two weeks after he's been meeting one-on-one with this guy that led him to Christ, another insurance broker. And he says, one of my agents came in and closed the door. And he's like, I was like, oh boy, it's never good when they close the door behind him. So he said, uh, he sat down and proceeded to tell me how his marriage is falling apart and his life he's got no meaning purpose significance whatever and, and he says uh, do you have any ideas that could help me and Mark said he said well he said uh, I, I I just gave my life to Christ and received the forgiveness of sins through Christ and goes through the gospel with him and what happened in Mark's life and the guy asked Mark he says well is there any reason you know could I do that could I receive Christ as well and as Mark tells the story, he's much better telling the story. But he says, uh, he says, uh, yeah, I don't see why not. Let's let's do this. So he's been following Christ for two, three weeks, and they bow their head and he prays the prayer. He might have had a steps to peace book that you know there with them. And the guy prays to receive Christ. So Mark looks at him and says, I want you to do two things now. I want you to tell somebody the decision that you made. And I have, I just this just happened to me. We just started this little Bible study together. I'm going to call my guy. I'm sure you can just get called up and jump in uh, with us. We were only two weeks in. He said, great. Guy leaves. Mark calls Bill, the, um, the guy that uh, led him to Christ, and said, you know, told him the story would happen. And, and Bill said, that's, that's awesome, Mark. That's great. And Mark said, I told him that he could just jump in with our little study. Um, we're only two weeks in. I figured that'd be okay with you. Is that okay with you? And the guy said, uh, no. And Mark said, I was a little taken back. And he said, well, well, what do you mean now? I don't understand. He said, Mark, he's your guy. God gave him to you. You disciple him. And Mark said, Bill, you don't understand. Like, I don't know anything. Um, I'm just a baby Christian. And he said, all you have to do is stay one week ahead of him. And as Mark says, that's all I've been doing ever since. (laughs) So there's not a guy in here that cannot sit across the table, open up the Word of God together, and walk him um, through the Scriptures. You will learn, he will learn, and God will be in the midst, actually being the one that does the work. Another uh, little analogy I like is um, 
you guys all know the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, right? So you have the Sea of Galilee, and that's a very uh, that's where Peter did all the fishing, you know, all that kind of stuff, and and it was very healthy sea because it, there's water that flows into it and water that flows out of it. And then if I'm if I correct, that flows down into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea you can actually like like you can just lay on and float because the salt's so um, because nothing flows out of it. There's so much salt that you can just like literally lay on that thing and float without holding your breath or anything. Nothing really lives in it. Fish only like microbes and all that stuff that I know nothing about. And uh, the analogy is. Um, we want to be the Sea of Galilee, right? Where I have a Paul poured into my life, and then I have somebody else that I'm pouring my life into. I don't want to be the Dead Sea that only has somebody pouring into me, and then me not being able to um, pour my life into another one. We want to be the Sea of Galilee. When discipling the guy, uh, I always uh, it was given to me years ago to look for um, fat men I thought well that's I'm a little uh, thick in the middle I don't know that I like him you know, telling me to look for fat man fat man as it was explained to me looking for men that are faithful available and teachable and uh, if you get into the lives of men very quickly you can determine who is a fat man and who is not a fat man. Is he faithful? Is he showing up? Is he available? And is he teachable? And uh, and parenthetically, I myself want to make sure that I'm a fat man, right? I uh, I need to make sure that I'm faithful, available, and obviously always remaining teachable. <laughs> You'd be like, right, right on, son. Yeah. Men, um, discipleship is uh, helping men grow in their faith and walk with Jesus. It's equipping them to be able to disciple others also. It's investing into the lives of others. Discipleship is... Impacting thinking and imparting skills. Um, someone used the verse, I think Woodson used the verse to start, Isaiah 55, 8, 9. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. So, um, we, what God, I understand that verse to mean that God is telling us that you don't naturally... Um, Think like I do, or want to do things my do things my ways. And then I run on to uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve, where he says, "There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death." So God tells me that you don't think like I do, or want to do things the way that I want to. And then on top of that, there is a way that seems right to you. You've got no internal barometer to tell you that you're wrong. And oh, by the way, your ways just lead you to death, ruin, and destruction. So, the reason I love this discipleship book, when it talks about impacting thinking, what I want to do in my own life, and what I want to help another man do, 
is replace replace my jacked up truth system with the truth of God. I want to get into His Word and find out what His ways and what His thoughts are so that I can replace them with the truth that is not truth in my mind. i got a lot of garbage in here. I've got some of the Bible, but i got a lot of garbage from my raising, from my experiences, from television that I've watched, from whatever I've received from my uh, time of history that I live in. So I want to do that for myself. But my goal in meeting with a man is to help the Scriptures impact his thinking. I don't want to tell him what I think. I want to expose him to the Word of God and invite him to self-discover the truth of the Scriptures on his own. You guys probably can relate to some truth sometime you were spending time in the Bible and God showed you something in His Word. And it was like like the light went on. You're like, wow, like God just showed that to me. And that became, because you self-discovered that through the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It like became grafted into part of who you were. Much more so than us sitting upstairs and listening to those guys. Like That's a great benefit. And I'll listen to those talks over and over again. But man, when I'm in and God gives me something that I self-discover, that thing's like, you know, part of my, part of my, my soul immediately. So what I want to do with what part of discipleship is, is helping set up a man to be able to um, self-discover. Asking questions and then shutting up and waiting for his answer. And then based upon his answer, asking another question. And parenthetically, if we look at the life of Christ and how he taught, that's a lot of the way that he taught as well. He would ask questions, wait for a response, ask another questions. Certainly he taught straight up, but Christ did a lot of asking of questions. And I think, men, we are we live in a culture that does not encourage us men to be thinkers. We're encouraged to be halfway dead in between the ears so thinking you know when Jim talks and Winston talks about being quiet and you know it's so we got a lot we got a strong current trying to sweep us downstream because we don't want to be thinkers man it takes energy and effort and not only do we need to be thinkers but we need to help the men that God has given us invite them to um, be thinking about what the passage says us before and ask them questions. And that's why, again, these things, uh, these little booklets, I, I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with these, but I, I'd encourage you to pick up them all. And, uh, Would it be okay to maybe hand them around? Sure, yeah. Well, let me, yeah. Okay. The, uh, I mean, the second book goes through discerning the will of God, it goes through perpetual <coughs> opposition, you know, taught in the scripture, scriptures, it, it, the third book talks about preparing your testimony and gets you looking out at other people. They're, they put this little leader's guide together to help you, um, you know, be equipped before this. If you don't have, if you've not been through this, or you don't have a Paul or somebody that is um, senior to you that is pouring into your life, I'd encourage you to 
grab these books and find a guy and ask him to take you through those books, a guy that has done it, because there's no greater training than um, walking, having somebody walk you through that book yourself so that you can um, see what it looks like and feel like you're a little bit more equipped and have a little bit more skills to do that with another man. I will make one comment. I'll pass this one to you. The other comment is um, I think that we tend to um, overestimate where men are. This is this is um, this is my thoughts. The Bible down there. That's it's not. These are just my individual thoughts. I think that we tend to overestimate where we think other men are spiritually. So a guy tells us that he's a Christian, and he kind of looks the look, walks the walk. You know what I mean? Like he just seems like he's got his act together in a bit of a way. Or he tells you he's been going to church for you know ten years or since he was a kid, and we just assume where that he is somewhere spiritually without actually knowing where he is spiritually. So what I what what I'm getting at is, well, Winston gave the Barna research. I mean that that Barna research is like there is sin, there is hell. Um, Jesus is the only path to heaven. Gosh, the seven things were so um, so basic that only 19% of evangelical Christians could cross that bridge and adhere to seven of the most basic principles. So my point is, I, I, I don't know that I ever, I mean, there may be a circumstance, I don't know that I ever don't start a guy in book one. I don't want to assume, again, book one talks about who is Jesus, is the Bible credible? The work of Christ and eternal life at the end? It, it gives a gospel explanation and, and gives an opportunity for the guy to say, do you, know, you know, do you know where you're going? Do you know what's going on when you die? And it uh, gives him an opportunity to, to uh, pray to receive Christ if he hasn't. At an absolute minimum, what, what you're doing for the guy is, hey, let's walk through this. We could start in book two, but let's go through book one first. Because what that'll do is, um, I, I have a feeling you're going to want to probably do this with another guy, and you'll, you know, having gone through book one, it'll make it easier for you to go and do this on your own if you want to do that. So, very rarely, and and, and I always, you go through that and you start talking about those verses and bouncing around. There's a lot of stuff that uh, guys just aren't aren't familiar with. So, highly highly encourage you to. Um, start in book one. Assume these books are available online for more. Yeah, so I think they're, you know, the ministry in the marketplace is just, uh, you know, it's kind of like John said, there's no, it's really not an organization. In fact, it's just, just above being organized, right? So it's just a bunch of laymen that, you know, it serves as a, 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 a a tax entity to be able to function that way tax and it's just a loose network of of guys throughout you know the the country that um, use these things and and uh, have had you know great success with them the uh, the the other thing I would suggest to you that is that we have um, three things that we can offer another man and there are three holies 
And I like things that are like easy to remember because I don't have much gray matter out there. So the easier that it is, the better it is for me to be able to remember it. But we can offer men um, holy prayer. We passed out that those uh, top ten lists to begin with. Guys, if we go through our sphere of influence and all the different environments that God has us and the different men that God has given me access to, and I begin to choose ten of those and begin to pray for those men every single day, praying for their souls, praying that God will give me an opportunity to share the gospel or to interact with them on spiritual things. Let's say I don't see one of those guys for two weeks and then I see him. What is the very first thing that I'm going to think about when I see that man? I've just been praying for him every single day for two weeks. I can guarantee you the first thing you're going to think about is, I wonder if this is my opportunity. I'm going to be able to recognize man no longer according to the flesh and put on my spiritual goggles and see him not in the flesh, but as someone he's come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. So not only does, does is prayer a powerful thing, but it also, you know, Kierkegaard says, um, I'll butcher this, but prayer isn't necessarily, this is my version of Kierkegaard, prayer isn't necessarily for us to change the mind of God as much as it is it for us to come into line with God's thinking, to change the heart of the one who prays, right? So as I pray, I'm moving my mind from a temporal mindset as I'm praying for these men to an eternal mindset. I'm putting on my spiritual goggles and as I go out on my work day, when I run onto those guys, maybe I see them every day in the office. I'm just praying for that guy. I'm going to be more aware of the opportunity to um, be able to interact with them on the cause for Christ. So I have the holy prayer to offer them. I have the holy word and that's what we're talking about here. Getting a man in the word. It is the Word of God that does the work in a man's life. It's not us. We just come along for the ride. Getting him into the Scriptures so that he can self-discover the Word of God for himself. So the Holy Word, and then the Holy Life. I move in on the man, I move in on his life, and, uh, you know, Paul says, um, I'm going to butcher this verse. The Jew I became a Jew to the Greek I became a Greek. I become all thanks to all men so that I might win more to Christ. Man, that's what we do. We should be like chameleons that, you know, my, the guy I'm praying for or trying to build a relationship for, for the cause of Christ, or maybe I'm already involved in his life. You know, I'm getting involved in what he likes. You know, I'm talking to him about the sports teams that he likes. I'm talking to him about his kids. I'm... I'm getting involved in his life and moving in on his life so that he can also hopefully witness the holy life that he sees in me. So, not only does it, um, not only does he gain from being around and seeing how you respond to circumstances, how you respond to difficulty, how you interact with your wife, how you interact with your kids, um, not only does that happen, but there is a little fringe benefit that when I'm now, I'm now, that also helps me try to live a life that's above reproach. Because I know that I'm trying to model what the holy life looks like for those men that God, is, that God has given me. And uh, I need all the hope, personally, I need all the 
help and motivation and reminders uh, that I can get. So we offer the holy life, holy prayer, and the holy word. Guys, any uh, questions, comments? Uh, I have a question. Please. Yeah, because I want to go into this holy prayer. And, mm-hmm. and if I may, I just I, I want to reflect just something interesting. So we have a continual um, scenario where we are in, and again, I feel like okay, so God puts this on uh, on my heart to put these guys in prayer for their salvation, and that's and I was mm-hmm. I want to say this one thing first of all. Let me say this: I think prayer is one of the most important facets. Not only in changing our own life, but you know, seeing a change in somebody else's life, even if we can't be there at the time. And I give you this just kind of a simple example. I bumped into this guy. I was doing some stuff with him. I could tell he was involved in stuff that he be involved with. And I basically just kind of, I kind of separated myself from his lifestyle because of what he was doing. But God put him on my mind. Put him in my prayers, right? And I'm just like, all right, sure, okay, let's get him on the list. Wait. Like, two months later, I hadn't spoken to the guy, and he sends me this text, right? A couple of sentences. But I just want to tell you how prayer can do something very interesting behind the scenes. He said, when I get sober and I try to sleep, I fall into the most intense daydreams where I feel myself falling into darkness, and the only thing that seems to fight off this darkness is when I ask Jesus to help me. It's almost like I'm losing my mind but I can't deny that this is happening. There is something about the concept of Jesus that seems to cast light into darkness. I feel silly saying this, but honestly, it's a phenomenon that it's foolish to be ignored. Jeff, I think you may be on to something. Here's my question. How do I cover, through the authority of Jesus, a list of multiple people when you start to get this list together and you want okay so God wants my attention God wants me to be sincere in it I have a list of these people that are on this salvation list and I'm just I can declare them all in the authority of Christ I can say no ground shall be lost in these people's lives I can declare that in this time of the day you know let them in their heart find themselves following in some capacity in their thought process, that now they're thinking more upon God and they're rejecting something that is a, a burden or a hinister to them in their lives that are subjecting them not to come to Jesus. I'm just wondering, is there some other options that help us cover, cover a vast number of people and still accomplish the objective? Am I making sense? I'm I think I understand what you're asking. Yeah. So... And, and I'm, I'm certain you're not going to like my answer. But um, maybe you will. I don't know. I would suggest to you that um, there's more than two things. But let's talk about there's truth yeah. and there's application. So we know that he tells us in Second Thessalonians 5, 16-18, pray without ceasing. Right. That he says, be devoted to prayer, like you talked about. Prayer, prayer, prayer. That is our lifeline of communication. That is the truth. Sure. The question is, what does the application look like into my life? Truth is universal. Each one of us needs to pray without ceasing and be devoted to prayer. Before God, each one of us has to determine what the application of that looks like. What does that look like when I 
That's, that's living by faith, where I wrestle with God to say, I want your will, not my will be done. What, is that gonna, what does that need to look like in my life? And that puts me in a posture of dependence and in a posture of faith, which really is uncomfortable because I just want to know, just send me a text message and tell me what your expectations of me are, of how to apply that, and then I know what I can, I, I can do that. But that takes the faith element out of it. That's where the tension is, how do I live by faith? Well, but my righteous one shall live by faith. That's figuring out what the application, and that's individual to each of us. And the good news is, we get to decide what that looks like, and the bad news is, is we get to talk with Jesus about it on Judgment Day, and make sure that and He gets to judge the motives of our hearts. So, it is, I'm not sure if I'm, maybe I am understanding, maybe I'm not, but it seems like it's a tension, and I don't have the answer for you, only to say that that's an application question that we all need to wrestle with what that looks like, how we do it, and what, because the reality of it is, Jeff, I could pray literally from morning until night and not do anything else. Right? So, is that what he expects? When he says pray without ceasing, is that what he, well, let me suggest to you, if some guy, if God's given him that as the application, then he better, he better do that. I understand the pray without ceasing. You know, I always have that line of communication open. You know what I mean? I'm interacting with God multiple times throughout the day. As if I have an earbud in and the phone line, you know, is continual. I'm driving down the road, going in to meet him, I'm praying about that, thinking about, you know, but the line's always, I'm, I'm always trying to keep that line, that line open. So I don't have a specific answer to, to that that thing, because to me it sounds like an application question, which we all have to wrestle with individually to see what that looks like. Gotcha. And then, can I just do on the clarification of praying without ceasing? Yes, sir. How I see that is my conscience is before God throughout the day. So any thoughts that I have or any actions that I'm planning out, that that conscience is an amphitheater before God. Measuring it up to hip on that, I'm praying without ceasing that I'm applying that as I'm walking through the day. Not me sitting on my knees and praying. Yeah, thank you. Good stuff. Guys, um, in closing, discipleship is strategic. It's not passive. If you want to get involved in discipleship in the lives of men, it's um, messy and... um, uh, uh, like uh, I'm gonna say imposing. That's not like the word. Um, imposing isn't the word. Like it doesn't always fit into my plans for what the day looks like. Inconvenient. Thank you. <laughs> it's inconvenient. It's messy. Um, the calls don't come when you want them. It's hard because you're bearing the burdens of of you know the guy you're interacting with. Um, but it is there is it is one of God's tools that he uses um, for me and my spiritual growth to make me the man to become mature in Christ that he, that he wants me to be. So it is strategic. It is not passive. Um, it is a proactive endeavor. And the last thing, just to... Uh, uh, I, I tell guys, I have frequency on here. I, I try to meet with a guy once a week if he wants to. If I can tell, like it's a little... Like I got guys I meet with every other week. Um, I've got guys that I've met with for years and we're at the point now where we might meet with like 
once a month, you know, just, but we had been meeting with more regularity before. So it's, that is, a, that's an application, you know, um, but I only am sharing what's been given to me, uh, and what I have found, uh, you know, works. But discipleship is a gift. I encourage you guys to, you know, start praying for guys and, and get after it and, and all you gotta do is stay one week ahead and, you know, have that Paul, grab that Paul if you don't have one that's pouring into your life and, and, you know, pray for Timothy's that you can invest and pour into and, and disciple them. Any closing questions? We're up against our time. Yeah, I have Go a ahead. real practical question. Sure. I, I know when I've been discipled in mm-hmm. the past, um, the amount of effort I put into it correlated with, you know, how impactful it was. Um, as you disciple men, um, what do you think about, like, setting pre-work? Is it important to, say, work on chapter one and then we'll discuss it? Or show up and we'll, we'll talk about yeah. it? Yeah, I'll always ask him to, our time will be most best served if you can work through the questions and think about them before we get together. And there's guys that show up and, man, they got notes and there's guys that are like, oh, I forgot, like, my books, I'm like, hey, that's all right. Like, I'm not, not going to be the minister Holy Spirit to them. Um, let's let's roll. Hey, next week, if you want to try to go through your stuff, but if he's willing to meet with me and have lunch and buy breakfast, or I mean, have breakfast, uh, absolutely. You know, I'll. But yeah, and you talked about pre-work. I've I've found in my own life I can get lazy because I've been like, um, you know, I've been I've done book one, you know, or book two with guys a number of times that I'm familiar with it that I can. Um, not be thinking or praying or preparing for my time with him because I'm just showing up and I'm like, dude, I gotta like, who are his kids? What are his kids? What's going on in his life again? Like, gotta, I gotta make sure that I'm engaged and not just getting um, sloppy and, and lazy, personally. Guys, thank you for your time.